Everybody, it's your buddy Tommy D. It's 10 a.m. on a Friday, so we're coming at you from the top of my house. That's right, from the attic. I call myself the Nonprofit Sector Connector. That's what it's all about. This program is all about bringing awareness and amplifying the message for nonprofit organizations. So many of you who know me know about my interest and my passion for the nonprofit sector. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Tommy D. Hello. Here's the story. This program is called Philanthropy in Focus, and it is just that. It is a focus on the nonprofit industry. Every single week, we're going to come together at 10 a.m. on a Friday, and we're going to talk about what's going on with a specific nonprofit organization. So why am I passionate about this, this industry? Why, am I, why do I spend so much time here? The folks in the nonprofit sector, they make an impact every single day. And often, this, this is an overlooked underfunded and unrecognized group. And my my answer to that, my response to that is philanthropy and focus. So as I say, each week we are going to highlight the messages of a nonprofit organization. We're going to talk about the beginning of the organization, the genesis, where they came from, the programs, their, their stakeholders, the constituents that they serve, and how they serve those individuals. And then, you know, I'm the nonprofit sector connector, so it's about the connections. Who do they need to meet? Who can they best collaborate with? Is it donors they're looking for? Maybe they're potentially looking for additional board members or advisor, advisory committee individuals. That's what we're going to talk about. You know, if you've heard me before, you know I say two plus two is four in math. But in networking and collaboration math, it's some number much, much higher than four. I don't know exactly what it is, but I look at the world this way. I feel that, you know, that ripple that, you know, you remember that story, the pebble in the pond and the ripples? I go around the world with buckets of pebbles and I'm just tossing these and I'm just tossing these pebbles and making connections. So I figured I could take that power and use it to amplify the message of these nonprofit organizations. As we go through these conversations each week, some of the stories are going to talk about challenges and tell us where the organization, where they got started, how they had some, they, some of those speed bumps that you hit as you're growing. But then we're going to talk about the wins and we're going to talk about the impact that they're making. So, Today, I, I, I have a great friend of mine. He's, he's going to be an incredible interview. I'm super excited. But before I even say hello to my friend, Larry, I'll say hello. Hey, Larry. <laughs> before we even dive in, I want to read something quickly about, about transitional services for New York. Um, I've been involved with TSI for TSI NY for a number of years, but Transitional Services for New York is a nonprofit, multifaceted mental health corporation, which in contract with New York City and the state of New York provides community-based services to individuals recovering from mental illness. TSI NY admitted its first clients for residential services in 1975 and currently serves over 4,000 individuals with mental health challenges annually. So, the, the big thing for me about being networked and connected is I get to meet incredible people. And I know Larry for a number of years. We served together on the board of the Health and Business Alliance for about three years together. We were also involved together on the Bayside Business Association board over in Bayside, Queens. And for the last, I guess, four or five years, I've been involved with uh, TSI CARES, uh, the TSI Advisory Committee for, for the organization. And our firm, the Vanguard Insurance Agency, has been involved uh, from a sponsorship and, a, and a, um, getting the word out perspective about the organization and certain events that, uh, that the organization is all about. So before I read your bio, Larry Grubler, Dr. Larry Grubler, Woo! Dr. Larry Grubler, how are you? Hey, listen, you know what? I've been I've I've only said that name about five hundred times in my life. I didn't think I'd trip on it here on uh, on the podcast. But good morning. How are you? I'm great, Tommy. How are you? I'm really good. I'm fired up. Um I, I think as I said up front there, this program is about recognizing the work that organizations are doing. And I don't know an organization that does more incredible work than what your people over at TSI are doing. So I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm excited to learn from you, but I'm more excited for the people that listen and follow the podcast to learn about the issues that you're addressing and your team is addressing. Because I know you for a long time and it's never about you. It's about your people. It's about your associates. So I am going to read now. As I say, it's never about you, Dr. Grubler. Well, now it is because I'm going to read your bio real quick, okay? okay? So Larry Grubler 
is the chief executive officer of Transitional Services for New York, which we talked about, a comprehensive nonprofit mental health organization, which is right in Whitestone, Queens. In 1981, Dr. Grubler began his career with individuals with mental illness as a counselor in a day program operated by Mercy Hospital and Medical Center. After four years of providing direct clinical services on both outpatient and inpatient basis, Dr. Grubler began working as an administrator of mental health programs, both overseeing programs and developing new initiatives. And in the late 1980s, he worked with both Mayors Koch and Dinkins as a senior consultant for New York City Department of Mental Health, Mental Retardation, and Alcoholism Services, and gained a good understanding of community participation in program development and public funding. In 1992, Dr. Grubler was hired as TSINY's Associate Director of Residential Services, and at that time, the organization had 189 beds for individuals over the age of 18 and that had a primary psychiatric diagnosis. Today, from 189, the organization has grown to over 700 beds with expansions planned in Queens, as well as the lower Hudson region of New York. And in, in March of 2007, Dr. Grubler became the CEO of the organization. The organization has a $30 million budget and services, as I've mentioned several times leading up to today, 4,000 individuals in the city of New York each, each and every year. The agency hosts outpatient services, which I know we're going to talk about, a clinic, a day program, outreach and vocational services, as well as an affirmative, it is also an affirmative business. Dr. Grubler believes that rehabilitation services that are provided by his staff are so unique that this agency's mission and vision should grow across New York and even ultimately across the United States. On a personal side, Dr. Grubler is a Queens native, having been born and raised in Far Rockaway, resides in Bayside with his wife, Bonnie, and received his bachelor's degree from the State University of New York at Binghamton, a master's degree from St. John's University, and his doctorate in psychology from Southern California University for Professional, for professional Studies. Dr. Grubler, as I said, I'm fired up to have you here. I'm excited. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi, thank you so much. I really, I truly appreciate it. As you know, I love talking about transitional services. You just presented me and it sounds really great. But it's, as you said, it's not all about me. This this is an amazing agency. And as, as I was listening to you, I was feeling even more lucky about my career and what I've chosen to do for my life. And, it, it, and I'm putting in perspective, you mentioned the years. I mean, people that are looking at me now probably think I'm about 20, 21 years old. But if you, you said I started in 1981, which means that this come, this year, I'm, it's 40 years. So it's, I didn't, I didn't realize it kind of until you were talking about it. So really thank you for acknowledging the not-for-profits, um, trying to bring us to the forefront. I think we have a lot to offer and a lot to say. Um, and very often, specifically in the mental health world, it's not a very sexy topic. People don't want to talk about it. And, um, you're giving us an opportunity and I truly appreciate that. Yeah. You know, we're going to get into that whole thing, but not being a sexy topic and what I what I keep this hashtag I keep putting out there and the stigma. And I definitely want to dive into that. But think about that for a second. 40 years in this industry, the impact you've made, not not just on on um, on patients and people who need services, but the impact you've made. I've, I've been to your events. I've been to the holiday parties and I see the the recognition that you give to your your colleagues, your your employees and um and, and it's that sort of passion. I do a lot of work on the benefits and HR side, and we always talk about culture. And I, I've learned over the years that not many folks go into the nonprofit sector because they see that it's a way that they can get very wealthy. They go into the nonprofit sector because they want to serve. And talk to me if you could. Maybe we'll just start there. Talk to me about the service. How, what, when did this draw you in to, to say, this is a sector I want to be involved with, specifically mental health? That's a really interesting fact. To take two minutes to tell you all about that, it's really kind of interesting. I wanted to be a gynecologist. I had no interest in, I, not even that I knew that psychiatry or was a, a true world. Um, I was trying to get into medical school and I needed a job in, the, uh, in, a, in a medical field. And I wound up getting a job at Mercy Hospital working directly with clients uh, in a day program people that had had long-term histories of schizophrenia, major depression. Um, and I'm sitting there doing the groups and talking to the people. And I always tell this story because it's kind of funny, but I never, in a, in a weird way, but I never thought about them as any different than either me or my family. 
So here I am working with people that had been in a mental health setting, and I could have been talking to my aunt or uncle or father. And I thought to myself, well, this is kind of cool. I really, really like this. And I started, I actually gave up the idea of going to medical school. Um, my parents were not thrilled. Um, and they, you know, because I graduated from college and started out making $10,000 a year. And like, what was the whole purpose of going to medical school? But then I began to see that if you really work with people, they can, they can be rehabilitated. They can lead a more, quote unquote, whatever normal is, more normal life. They can integrate back into the community. Um, and they can transition. And I want to talk a little bit more about that transitional model, because that's what this is all about, to transition from a point in your life where you need a lot of support to a point that you need less. I loved doing clinical work. I loved meeting with the clients. I loved singing with them. I would come home from work and my dad would say, what did you do for, what did you do today? And I was like, well, I sang with people or I did their nails or I did their hair or made them look better or feel better. And he just didn't, he didn't get it at all. And um, most people don't, most people don't. And that's why we talked about how people at transitional services can talk a little bit more and differently about what they do for a living because it's very hard to understand. And I'm gonna offer this as you, I think you've taken the tour, but if anybody after this wants to take a tour, it's a lot easier to see, touch and feel. And I think that that's really kind of key. Um, I wish my dad had had an opportunity to take that tour. You know, I, I, I wonder, we can dive into this certainly deeper as, as we have this conversation, but I wonder if it's, it's a generational situation, you know, as far as the whole stigma around the mental health conversation. Because as you sat there, you know, as you said, it was a job. You went to get a job, and it obviously turned into a life's passion and a career. Uh, you, you saw these individuals as they could have been a member of your family because they are members of our families. Isn't that what this is all about? These are people that, that you know, I, I know people in my own personal life that goes through some some challenges. And I'm going to be honest, there's days I'm having some challenges, Larry. I mean, this is, I think we all, and we'll go into some statistics and things like that later on, but I just think, I think we're all, if not affected by this personally, it certainly is, is something that challenges our families. And well, absolutely. And just, you know, I want to tell another quick, I could go on with stories. I love stories. That's all I'm about. Tell me more. Tell me more stories. I often tease that my, my grandmother, was the first true rehabilitation counselor. My uncle had schizophrenia. Nobody talked about it. Nobody knew about it. He went into the army, was discharged from the army because he was acting bizarrely, came home and they didn't want to put him away and they wanted to keep him at home. Um, and they decided that they were going to put him into business. So they opened up a candy store in Jamaica Avenue. And my grandmother got made sure that he got up every morning, did what he needed to do. She would let him take a break during the day. She would take over the store, and then he would close it up at night. And I often tease that that, to me, that was very normal. You know, we, we took care of our family in that respect. Um, his, he became my responsibility later on in life. Um, but... She really was a great vocational rehabilitation counselor. And we're kind of all doing the same thing now with people trying to get them to a better point in their life. My grandmother did it. I, you know, I, I love that because I'm, I have awareness and we'll get into this in a minute. We're going to take a break in a minute here. But uh, we're, the vocational side of things and the value of having a job and having responsibilities that all of us, you know, and you use the word normal, whatever that means. I mean, we all need a purpose. And it's that is that achievement of a goal and, and making an impact that that really makes us all feel good. Right. So I want to get into the vocational side. I want to talk more about kind of the personal journey. Uh, we are going to take just now a quick break. Time goes, time flies on this program, Dr. Okay. And, and so you'll, you'll, you'll get the hang of that pretty soon. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with Dr. Larry Grubler, Transitional Services for New York. Your buddy, Tommy D, Philanthropy and Focus. See you in two. Bye. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. 
on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So come through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. That's where we are. That's That's where we are. That's That's, uh, we we got a double dose of uh, of the intro there. I think. I think I was confused on something. So this is uh, this is show number two. It's a sophomore expedition, Larry. Some some things I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit some bumps. So fired up. The song was there. Thank you very much, uh, Uncle Brendan Levy and, and the Damaged Goods Band for putting together the jingle right there. Uh, it, it fires me up every time. You, you probably if you're watching on Facebook, you saw me dancing. So uh, before we move on to to some other parts of the conversation, I just want to say uh, thank you to Avi McCracken, who is the Associate Director of Public Affairs and Fundraising at TSI. For sending me the mask, it's becoming uh, to TSI and my mask. It's becoming a prerequisite for the show that I get a little swag from the organizations that uh, that I bring on the show. So, so thank you, Ave, and thanks for doing that, and thanks for sending the mask over. I will wear it uh, whenever I get out of the attic. So, Dr. Grubler, there is something I want to share on my screen. We'll do that in a minute. But if we could dive back into kind of what we were talking about, even from some of the early on experiences you know, with, with your family and, and let's go right back where we left off. Okay. Actually, I want, I do want to talk about that, but I want to get into a little bit more even about the agency and how that started because sure. it goes into, I was talking about with my family and 40 years ago. So I started 40 years ago and I, I, I think people tend to forget now that when I first started, people were coming out of the hospital that had been in a state psychiatric center for 30, 40 years. That was their life. And what happened in the world that allowed people to come actually out into the community? I think it's really important to start from there so that we can. What, you, what years did that all? What? what because I, you shared stories like this with me in the past. What was that time frame when the um, when the, these uh, buildings, these these organizations opened up? Can you take it back? Yeah, with the advent of medication, that's really what happened. It was the advent of medications were were being used to treat people. It started in the 1960s. And so that it became apparent that people could now live out in the community with some support um, where they had historically been hospitalized for many, many years. And I will say at the beginning of my career, I did take people out of the hospital that had been there 30, 40 years. Um, and it was eye opening. Could you imagine? I mean, I spent my career for 40 years and now imagine being in a hospital for 40 years because you have some type of illness. and. Very few illnesses in the world do you spend 40 years in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, you know, you have a medical illness for 40 years. You either, you know, you don't you either get better or you die. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's just, it's it's really amazing um, that the agency started. So in about the 1970s, and we started in 1975, mm-hmm. General services, we started on the grounds of Creedmoor Psychiatric Center. The state was was good enough to give the agency a building. Uh, parents started, it was a parents uh, organized organization. Um, we had a budget of $250,000 and 10 staff. 
and we took 10, 10 people out of the state psychiatric center with the prime focus of teaching them the skills. Remember, they were in the hospital for such a long time. Now you need to learn the skills to how to live out in the community. Yeah. How do you, they, had, they were completely taken care of. So now you have to learn how to cook and how to clean and how to budget and how to, things that you and I take, on, take for granted on a daily basis. Um, somebody that has schizophrenia, the illness also starts between the ages of 18 and 24. So think about what you've learned during that time between the ages of 18 and 24. They never learned it. They were in the hospital. Now somebody needs to be there to get them back out to the community. And that's how transitional services began. So let me stop you for one second. I can talk forever, probably. No, I know. It's me too. This is why this program is challenging for me because I try to make it not about me. So um, 24-year-old individual gets a diagnosis and goes into what what we call an institution for for 30 years. So now you have a a 54, 55, 60-year-old person who has no one – not for any reason of their own, but didn't have some of the formative years, you say, to kind of grow 18 to 24, right? Like where you get out on your own, you start to reach out and you get your first job. So now you're an older person who's been catered to, if you will, waited on, taken care of, and hasn't had to do any of these adult type activities. So that's what you're saying. That sounds, that's incredible to me. So yeah, yeah, that's how the program started to really talk about the programming that was needed to rehabilitate people. Uh, Because people, if they could take their medication, the symptoms decreased. Not only did they go away completely, but they decreased to the point of being able to learn the skills uh, that they can function out in the community and transition into another level. Because the next thing came, you, you started out in a supervised setting where there were staff available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So what happens next? Well, now you've done well, you don't necessarily need to live in a supervised setting. You can live out in the community, just like you and I could in an apartment, but you still need some level of support. So, and the models have changed over the years, but at the time people would move out into an apartment in the community with one or two or three roommates and staff would visit either every day, every other day, depending on what that person needed. Um, and that's really the, the whole continuum of the housing program that the state had developed. I think it's an, an amazing model. New York, we're very lucky that this model exists. It doesn't exist in other parts of the country. Talk to me about the model. What do you mean by that? What, what is so different? So that we have all the different levels of housing. So it's not really based upon, we're not going to fit you into a peg or, or into that mold. We're going to have the housing opportunity that, that will help you flourish. So if you need an apartment program where you could don't where you could be visited one to seven days a week and then you could move on from there because you can maybe get your own apartment right. you know we could talk about success stories we've had people that have gone through this and then you know gone ahead and moved out into their own apartment they live on their own many for 10 15 20 years now since we started our supported housing program where a person pays a third of their income towards the rent and they're living in an apartment like you or i would live in living in. I mean, I know you live in your attic most of the time now, but we have people living in studio apartments that are doing just fine and they get visited once a month. They learn the, the, the whole, they, they learn know how to cook. They know how to clean. I mean, when I first started in the mental health field, you knew, had to know how to make your bed. You had to know how to cook. Well, I, as an adult, I have to tell you, I have adult friends that <laughs> do not know how to make their bed or refuse to make their bed and they don't cook. That doesn't mean they have a mental illness. Um, so I used to say to my mom, I used to say when we were kids, and she's like, I know she's listening to this. I would say things like, um, why do I have to make my bed when I'm just going to get into it later on tonight and it'll be unmade again? So, like, it was one of those things where I said, that seems like time I could spend on more important things. So, I, and it's, my, if you talk to my wife, she'd tell you some things haven't changed. But, but, <laughs> but it's those, it's those types of, of skills. Um, that that are that are important and that are you know sometimes people might think those are basic things or they are basic things that but not everybody you know has those that skill set right it had to do with maintaining your living environment so you live in a house right now if you didn't cut your grass and you let things go wild people would start to complain about it and the neighborhood would start to complain so if you were living in an apartment and you didn't take care of it uh, to a greater extent, there would be repercussions of that. You may even get evicted if you got to that point where you couldn't go ahead and maintain your apartment. 
we try to avoid that at all costs. We try to make sure people have the skills to live out in the community on their own. You know, so at this point, we have all those different levels of housing, and that's how that's the thing. I, that's, that's what I was going to ask you about. Talk to me about those different levels because I've obviously been on the grounds. I've been on the Creedmoor grounds, and I've also been on the grounds of some of the other buildings, the building in Jamaica, and and all these. So, if you can key everybody into what that those individual. Um, first of all, I I just think as I'm listening to you, we could probably talk for hours because the evolution of you know individuals who have these challenges right now are are differently situated than somebody that you said in the late seventies and eighties that was coming out of these institutions and didn't have this. I mean, now it's like you, you, those individuals in the past had to be taught certain things, right? But this is from jump street. As soon as you engage with, with a client now, these things are addressed earlier on. Right. So, you know, absolutely. And you know, the 30, 40 year hospitalization is pretty much non-existent at this point. Right. The world has changed. You go into a community hospital, you may stay for a couple of days. If you need long-term care, you, you would get into the state psychiatric system. It wouldn't be for years and years and years because um, hopefully you would get on medication, be rehabilitated and be able to be referred to a place like transitional services. And um, so historically, when we first started, people would go right into a supervised setting because that was the first setting. And they would go right from the state psychiatric center to there. Nowadays, some people may have some of the skills that they can live out in an apartment, may, ha- may be able to maintain an apartment right away. So we evaluate them to see, OK, well, where are you at and what could you use? So you may be able to live in an apartment. You don't have to start at a supervised setting. So things have changed over the years. I mean, I've definitely seen those those changes for sure. Um, and we have over 700 people living in our housing opportunities. And we have all of those. I'm going to just fix my um, screen, Tommy, because yep. I continue to look gorgeous. Wait a second. Yes, I know. I was you were, you were cloudy there. Uh, I'm clear now. There you go. Oh, there you go. So uh, I think that it's really, you know, that piece is really important to really meet people where they're at. And then going ahead and provide that that type of service for them so that they can continue to function. The thing I love about a uh, transitional model, which I feel very lucky about, is that, you know, just like you said before, some days there are challenges for yourself. Well, someday there are challenges for everybody that has a psychiatric disability. And sometimes there are longer periods of time. That doesn't mean that you have to lose your apartment. That doesn't mean that you have to be kicked out of the program. It may mean that you need more support to get back to that level of functioning. So you mentioned your wife before. If you had a problem, you might use her as a support system mm-hmm. to get back out to that level. And I've met your wife, so I'm sure she's very supportive. Uh, she is. The, and, you know, just like the staff are there for being supportive so that you could get out to that level of functioning that you once had. And if for some reason you can't, I don't like to use the word go back that's not what it, it's about right. it means that you get to have the, another level of support so you can continue to function in the community you know we're about to go to another quick break but you're you're giving me and i i make no statements that i understand this to, to any high level so but you're making me more aware and i feel like i have some connection to this with the organization but also an awareness because i've i've done some research but the support piece we all, you just hit the nail on the head there for me, Larry. We all need more support at times. And it's, um, you know, whether you have a, a, an existing mental health uh, issue or, or challenge or not, it's about supporting each other, which goes to, I'll go, good thing we're going to break because I'm going to go way out on a tangent and talk about compassion and how we're supposed to love each other. And, and, and the four boys from Liverpool told us that, right? Like that kind of, but isn't that it, man? Isn't that it? We're, we, I want to say that thought because we got to jump to a quick break, but We'll be back with Larry and Tommy in a second. See you guys soon. Thanks. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday 
at 7 p.m. So tune in on Talk Radio NYC. You know you have it, the potential for a more rewarding life, a life that matters. But how do you get there? The answer is in a best-selling book by the coach of the successful and wealthy, Ken D. Foster. The Courage to Change Everything, Daily Strategies and Wisdom to Awaken Your Hidden Genius and Transform Your Life. With this powerful yet amazingly simple daily guide, your future is in your hands. You will be empowered to unlock your potential, bring out your true gifts, increase your wealth, and take your life and business to a new level. Get your life-transforming copy of Ken D. Foster's The Courage to Change Everything by going to couragetochange.us. That's couragetochange.us. Quite frankly, there's no other book like this. Imagine what your life could be like if you had at your fingertips the success principles to create the life you've always wanted. Are you ready to live your dream? Go to couragetochange.us. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. You know, it, it's such a serious topic we're talking about today. I almost feel like, you know, that sort of lightens the mood when I hear it. Um, that makes me smile, Tommy. I don't know who did that for you, but that really is amazing. You, you actually do know who did that for me. Uncle Brendan Levy did that for me. Really? Yes. Yeah. Wow. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we have a, 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 there'll be a remix in the coming months with uh, additional lyrics that he and I have been working on, you know, late into the hours, uh, you know, burn the candle with the, with the lyrics. But, uh, you know, this is a serious topic, but I do want to go back because I, I felt something during well, where we were finishing up there in that last segment. And Larry, it, it is about compassion, man. It's about compassion. And I think that's where I go a lot with this whole end the stigma uh, of this mental health conversation. And, you know, if somebody is physically uh, hurt or injured, you know, there's no shame in that. You know, something is they're injured. They get the treatment or the support, your word, that they need. It should be equivalent in the mental health conversation. I want to share my other screen really quick if I could, because I want to address some of the statistics that are out there. And you are the specialist in this space. So I want to hear from you on that. But I'm going to just share my screen. And this is something I uh, that's uh, from the website from the um, from NAMI, the, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And you and I talked about this for about a minute before, but statistically, you can see this if you're looking on Facebook, but one in five U.S. adults experience mental illness in their lifetime. One in 20 adults experience a serious mental illness. And 17% of youth, 6 to 17 years old, experience a mental health disorder. 17% of our young people. And doesn't that just challenge them on a go-forward basis if they have if that hasn't been addressed and dealt with? Um this, uh, this is a slide. Uh, it's, it just talk, it's talked about you're not alone. Millions of people are affected by mental illness each year across the country. Many people just like you, for, just like you work, perform, create, compete, laugh, love and inspire every day. So the point there to me, two things before we even jump into this, Larry, if you're watching on Facebook, you can see this and that's awesome. And I just got uh, word from my producer that we have great following on Facebook, and that's got to be a result of Ave McCracken, again, getting the word out on, on the program and what we're talking about today. So, Larry, if we could speak, I'll stop sharing the screen now, but if we could speak on just the statistics of the numbers of folks that are affected by this, because I think when we talk about how many people are, are affected by a mental health challenge, it just makes it more real. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, and before I forget, Tommy, um, but before we end, I definitely want to give out some telephone numbers of where people. I, I promise you, I want all that. We'll do it. Right, we'll yeah, do it right at the end. Yeah, exactly. if you want to share, if you want to share a phone number right now for people who are listening, might need it. Please go. Feel free to do that now. Sure. There's a, a just even the National Suicide Prevention Hotline or the Lifeline one eight hundred two seven three talk eight two five five. 1-800-273-TALK, right? Oh, yep. Okay. You know, the numbers that you presented are the numbers I've been quoting for mm, probably 10 years. Uh, we just are going through a pandemic. Uh, the, the numbers are higher. Yeah. I mean, I think that everybody has been really acknowledging 
that mental health issues are even more prevalent now because over the last nine months, people are suffering from anxiety, depression, a lot more than they even were, but people are a little bit more willing to talk about it. You know, you talk about the one in five in a given year. That's not the same one in five every year, right? So it's one in five this year, and next year it's gonna be another one in five. So eventually we're gonna hit most of the population, if you think about it, that suffer from some type of disability, uh, mental health, mental illness disability. Um, the other population that you're talking about, the one in 20, are the people that really transitional services. Mm -hmm. service. Those are the seriously and persistently mentally ill. Those are the people with, that have the major challenges to function on a daily basis. And that's why all of our programs were set up to help that group transition um, into into the community. And I don't want to minimalize the rest of those one in five, because I truly do believe that most people need assistance from time to time. Most people, right? See, most people. if I can cut you off, I just, this is a thing, because these numbers to me, every time you've shared them with me over the last five or six years that I've known you, and, and I see these statistics, but then I look around at the people I engage with on a daily basis, and used to be a lot more people outside of this house, but, it, you know, just the people I engage with, and I think most people have some and and i'm not a doctor disclaimer tommy d is not a doctor right of, of anything but I, I i do know people and i think we all to your earlier conversation about support i think if we could just be more supportive and and look out for each other you know that's not a diagnosis that's not a treatment i just think it's something that would impact people so to, sorry to cut you off but i just feel like if we all knew if you you know there's a quote, and I've shared it on a video recently, um, by Robin Williams, and um, I, I, I'm not going to say it directly because I don't have it in front of me, but it's something to the effect of everyone you meet is going through a challenge or fighting a battle that you know nothing about, so be kind always. And I think I got most of it, 95% of it right, but that's it. Just everybody's going through something, and you have no idea what they're going through. So. So the question becomes, Tommy, why don't they tell you? Why don't, you don't they, why don't they tell you that they're going through something? Well, I think because why is there a stigma around this? If I if I if I cut my arm, I tell people I'm bleeding, and they say, "Well, Tommy D, wrap that up or go to the urgent care and get that fixed." But for some reason in this country, and I don't know if it's it's in an international issue, but we have this situation where you can't just say that. So you know what? So to come out, I'm just saying it on the show. I go through challenges on, on some with some level of, 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 I don't know if it's regularity, but certainly sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down, right? Maybe by me saying that, that makes other people feel like it's not such a, it's not so foreign. I mean, I'll come out too. I go for therapy. I think I was teasing you a couple of weeks ago about I couldn't talk to you on a certain type because I, I was going for a therapy session. You go for right. therapy. I'm not embarrassed. I, right. you know, I'm a psychologist. I, everybody's got their issues. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think that, People need to acknowledge that and talk about it. And that does help break the stigma. I give credit to the younger population. I see it in my children. They are oh, the younger generation, actually. They're, they're, they are talking about it more. They're talking about their anxiety. They're talking about their panics. They're talking about what's going on in their life a little bit more. Maybe it's, and I think about sometimes, maybe it's just the social media aspect of it as well. It's maybe easier to say, I'm having a really tough time if you're texting. Rather than talking, if I when I look back at my my parents' generation and my parents and, and my family, nobody really talked about it. Nobody talked about their you know own. like you know like it was like suck it up, like you know walk it off. Like I even hear myself saying walk it off to my kids, but not around the topics like this. Like you know you, you stub your toe, you say walk it off. But I don't think this is not a walk it off situation. This is people are having real problems. Right. You, you talk about the pandemic. I'm sorry to cut you off, but you talk about, you talk about the, we need three hours for this program. For you, I know. For sure. So what I was we'll just do, you should have a part two. I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll we'll record an entire another conversation for three hours. Okay. You know. But you know you talk about the pandemic, and I wonder if there's if you see an influx in just the people maybe were borderline if that's the right way of saying it like kind of having the challenge but you know found ways whether it be you know uh maybe it's medication it's in some level or you know unfortunately i know there's this whole addiction piece that gets looped into to the whole mental health because people will whether it be alcohol or other to, to self-medicate but 
do you, do you feel that like now people who are kind of on the edge of having and needing support now, even just the, the floodgates are now open where many more people need the support. People are more willing to acknowledge that they're having a difficult time now because the media has come out and said, we're going through a pandemic. It's okay. This is anxiety producing. It's not, com- we're social human beings. It's not comfortable having to quarantine. It's not comfortable not walking into a meeting or walking with your family or having your daughter or child over and not being able to hug them when you raise them. And it's, you know, a little example. I was having dinner with my daughter and we wanted to share a piece of a pork chop and I couldn't cut it for her like I normally did and give it to her. It, it upset me. Little things, like yep. really little things like that. Um, so I think that it really made people acknowledge it a little bit more. Um, I think people are coming out of the woodwork a lot more. I was very anxious, to be honest, at the very beginning, because I didn't know if we'd have the resources. Wow. I was very pleased that the government, uh, specifically Governor Cuomo, acknowledged that and was willing to do this whole thing with telehealth because we were able to then see more people and get the services out there quicker. If not, we would have been, it would have been a nightmare. So um, we're, we're reaching a lot more people. I'm getting a lot more phone calls at work saying, this is what's going on, what should I do? Uh, people reach out to me you know, clearly all, all the time because of my job and because of the agency and how do I get services and how do I reach out? Um, got a call this weekend about a young man who was, um, it was very interesting to me. He actually tried to kill himself and was hanging himself off of a bridge and was saved by the police. Not my, one of my clients, it happened to be a community person. And this uh, person reached out to me and said, okay, where where can I take him? How, how can I make sure he gets help? How can I force it? How can I go ahead and, and get this person to, this, unless the person wants to get help? unless the person um, is clearly seen as a danger to self or others, it's virtually impossible to force it. Uh, but give me, that, give me that phone number again for people who might be just plugging in and, and, and could use it. 1-800-273-TALK, is that it? Oh, yep, okay. that's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I think that, that that's a key issue because I think that there are a lot of people that do try, that do have suicidal thoughts, that do try to hurt themselves, um, the support. I think that's part as a professional that always angered me about suicide is that we're there. We are there to help. So why didn't you just reach out and call? But I think that people tend to forget, and I do acknowledge this, that you get to such a dark place in your life that it's hard to reach out at that very moment. Right, so what about- so so like The way, way somebody explained it to me from the State Office of Mental Health, it's like the perfect storm that comes together and all of a sudden, um, you might take your own life. It's just like the perfect storm. It made sense to me when they described it, but from my client's perspective or family perspective, I'm here, call me, we'll go through it. You don't have to be alone. And that's what I think people often feel. They feel alone, specifically yeah. with the stigma of mental illness. They feel well, there's the stigma. And then there's the thing that, that they don't even know where to go. So when you talk about education, you know, we're going to go to a break in a minute, but when we come back from the break, Larry, we, we only have one more segment left. And I want to dive into just some of the programmatic things that, that are going on at TSI, but you know, people just don't know. There's no awareness of where to go. So maybe I, I thought about this coming up to the attic this morning and I said, you know what? Maybe there's a maybe there's another podcast where Larry and I just jump on once a week and we talk about, you know, these challenges and where people should go. Maybe there's something there. You know, my my producer, Sam Leibowitz, probably just got excited because maybe we get another program here on the on the network. But I was thinking about that because maybe that's the awareness and the education we need to do. We got to go to a break. Tommy D coming at you from my attic. Philanthropy and focus. Dr. Larry Grubler, TSINY, Transitional Services. Back in two minutes. See you soon. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a 
business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So come through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. Yes, join me in the attic every Friday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to 11 a.m., where I interview nonprofit leaders to help them amplify their message. Uh, shout out to the uh, Facebook live stream. I see uh, Ave checking in and, and Brendan checking in and Steve Fry checking in. So thanks for uh, for being there and watching us live on Facebook. I'll, I'll wave. Hello. Um, <laughs> Larry's waving, too. All right. What's that? I know these people. It's like, the family. Brendan yeah. made an incredible comment. You'll have to check it out later on, just about, you know, 40 years of service and, and the impact you've made. And, uh, you know, thank you for that. So, and, um, all right. So let's, uh, let's sort of draw to, to uh, we have some time left, but not enough time to go into everything we want to. So talk to me programmatically and kind of underscore some of the things that really stand out uh, that people should know about TSI and why. I want to put it also into perspective about that transitional model and why it, when it also developed within the housing model and the outpatient services. So it became apparent that when people moved out into the housing opportunities that they needed the support services, additionally, the, the clinical support services out in the community. So clinics started where they could people could go for therapy and they can go for psychiatry and um, for you know, assistance with getting benefits and all of those pieces. Then it became apparent that people didn't have very much to do during the day, so day programs started. Think about it, you're now home, you're now out, but just like you and I, we go to work, there's nothing to do during the day. So it's, it, it was a, from a rehab perspective, this was an opportunity to do something during the day. You would go to group and you would further learn to socialize and you would do all of those, do all of those pieces. Transitional services has the clinical model we have the rehabilitation model so that uh, people can go out and uh, go to a clinic and a day program. We call it PROS, Personalized Recovery Oriented Services. That's a really fascinating program because it would be kind of like you or I picking a goal for our life, whatever that goal might be. It might be getting your education or it might be going back to work or it might be uh, learning how to deal with your mother-in-law. Let me use that as an example. And then the staff go ahead and create a curriculum based upon that goal for you so that you learn how that skill that you've chosen to, to as that's important to you. Uh, we have mobile outreach programs that provide outreach to the community to talk about uh, mental health issues and, and connect people to mental health programs. Um, vocationally, it became apparent that people were able to get back to work. Um, you know, for many, and I didn't, I guess I didn't realize this when we started our affirmative business, and I'll talk about that in a second, that many people, and again, given the age range of the, the beginning of the, the illness, didn't have that opportunity like you or I might have had our first job. They never had that opportunity to go out to work. So we developed an affirmative business. We have a, 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 a business out in the community called Turn the Page Again. It's a bookstore. Uh, with the prime goal of uh, teaching people the skills needed to go out to work, how to get to work on time, how to talk to your supervisor, how to talk about your mental illness and how it's going to impact on your job maybe, and what you should divulge and what you shouldn't divulge and what's what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Um, again, you don't want to use your mental illness necessarily as a crutch. Mm -hmm. I have to say I have a psychiatric disability. I'm going to do the best that I can 
and I'm going to try to function and go back into into the world. Our bookstore is a fantastic program, and um, it's it's actually a, an amazing model because we we cycle people through on a three month uh, basis, and then they go out to get either real jobs, they may go back to a volunteer placement, they may go back to school. They may, but for many, I didn't realize that they're 40, 45 years old, and that's the first job that they've ever had. Wow. And when I've been when I've talked to them, it's it's really it's heartwarming and heartbreaking and all that stuff that goes with that, but it's really good to go in there. And you know my wife, uh, you yeah. know her So she went to a separate and apart from me when the bookstore first opened. She went into a drugstore, which will remain nameless, across the street, and she got yelled at by one of the, the people behind the counter. For, I don't remember what she was doing, and she said. Then she went into the bookstore because she wanted to do something in the bookstore. And she said, "Larry, I have to tell you that your bookstore people are so much nicer." I've had friends that have gone to the bookstore and said to me, "Larry, are you sure they have a mental illness?" Like they just don't get it, um, and because it could be you or me, it's not. Can you, think, can, can you just clarify? Like missing an arm, right? So I could have I could have schizophrenia, and you will not know. Right. And so it's that break saying things like that. It does help break the stigma. It's really important when we talk about the stigma. You know, stars come out and they talk about their depression or their anxiety or their, you know, those things do help break the stigma. Um, so anyway, let me get back for a second because I, I can go off on tangents. But we have the clinic, we have the day programs, we have mobile outreach, we have behavioral health care, which is a, a great program that helps people coordinate all of their services. Uh, we have an, an APS program, Adult Protective Services. We have staff going out to the community if somebody makes a complaint that they are being abused for whatever reason. So they're kind of walking in or they may be facing eviction or they may be having financial problems or maybe being abused. Um, staff are going to be really upset with me if I forget one of their programs. But we have an education training and resource center um, that will. Why don't, I, uh, why don't I do this? Why don't I read the programs really quick? We're not going to have a time to go into each and every one, but you have pros, employment services, residential services, behavioral health care coordination, mobile outreach, empowerment center, <laughs> education, training and resource center, affirmative business, the clinic, uh, Mealy's Respite. Um, uh-huh. So do you want to talk about the respite? For yeah, sure? I do want to talk about the respite. It's really important. Yes. In, intake and discharge and finance. And then it says testimonials and videos. I'm reading this right off the uh, website, which is tsiny.org for everybody playing the home game. So yes, we'll- absolutely. That's, I was actually had that on my list to really mention that. It's www.tsiny.org. But thank you. The one I missed, I missed two. So the Empowerment Center is a, is a group of um, actually – peers that help peers, people who have a psychiatric disability, go ahead and get back into the world on, on their level. Um, the best way to describe it is they may sit with them and calmly describe how to do their resume or how to use the internet or do things. And they, they have a lot more patience and time of getting people to empower themselves to, and not be marginalized because they have a psychiatric disability. Um, I talked about APS, and one of the ones that's a premier program, uh, in specifically in Queens, um, although they, they do exist in other boroughs as well, but not, we have one of the best ones, is a 10-bed respite program where it's a hospital diversion program. So that if people, rather than go into the hospital, um, they have the opportunity to spend seven days within a, um, a setting where they are helped by peers um, using a model of intentional peer support so that they go ahead and can talk about whatever issue brought them into the respite and return back out into their home. That was kind of what I was talking about before about, you know, you may have a difficult time, but you need more support. You need a different level of support to be able to maintain your life. Different than a hospitalization, when you go into the hospital, I actually worked in the hospital and had that opportunity, your life stops. So you can't go for therapy, you can't go to your clinic, you can't go to your job. If you go to the respite program and you're able to do all that stuff, you can still go for therapy, you can still go to your volunteer program, you can still do your stuff out in the community and still get the support uh, necessary back at the Mealy's Respite program. 
I want to interrupt you one second. We got like three minutes to go and I need like one or two of them myself to just kind of bring them home. So give me, give me all the contact info, Larry, where they, where do people aside from the website, which is said www.tsiny transitional services for New York, what else contact info and stuff you want to share before we uh, bring it home? Okay, great. So um, I think it's really important. I don't want to leave anybody hanging. So if you have a um, issue that you need to discuss with somebody and you think you might need one of those services that I mentioned, call our intake department at 718-425-4942. Tell them Larry sent you. Uh, you'll get quicker service. No, just kidding. Um, ask for Melinda. She's really great. She can go ahead and assist. That's 718-425-4942. Um, and you can also, you had mentioned um, NAMI, had, we do support NAMI, the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill. Um, we specifically for the families and, and or individuals who are suffering from a psychiatric disability. So uh, please feel free to call 1-800-950-NAMI. And I will also, and I'll make sure that all this information gets shared social media wise, like yeah. that. And if you and if you didn't get that information from Larry for one reason or another, you reach out to me and I'll make that connection for you. So we are going to try to bring this to a close, Doctor Grubler. Thank you for being here. I can't express enough how important this was because we're getting this incredible information about about your great organization. And I promise you, if you'll come back, I'd love to have you back. So say yes. All right, cool. He said yes, everybody. What you're, doing, what you're doing right now is is amazing and the staff are really appreciative of it and the clients are as well because we got ignored a lot of the time. So this is awesome. Thank you. And thank you to, to everybody for being here today. So really quick in closing, this has been just another one of our insightful and eye-opening conversations with Dr. Grubler. A few quick announcements. Next week on the show, my buddy Michael Katakis from Spirit of Huntington Art Center will be talking about the Artworks program that empowers individuals with special needs to really get, uh, work towards a career in digital arts. Don't forget, um, if you're a, if you work with a nonprofit in New York City, the New York City Imagine Awards applications are out. NYCImagineAwards.com. So the 2021 applications are live. Um, if you run, work for, support, volunteer for an organization, make sure they know about the Imagine Awards. How do you get in touch with Tommy D? Instagram TommyD.NYC. Tommy Demisa. That's my real name. D I M I S A on LinkedIn. Facebook, it's Tommy Demisa or Philanthropy in Focus. And Focus is spelled P-H-O-C-U-S because I like alliteration and I thought it was cute. And you can always email me at TommyD at PhilanthropyInFocus.com. Stay tuned for the rest of my friends here on the on the station. We have my buddy Steve Fry, the SMB guy, followed right behind my show, the Entrepreneurial Web after that. Wise content creates wealth right after that. I am Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector. Make it a great day. Keep connecting. I will see you next Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on Facebook Live. And... Uh, talkradio.nyc. Make it a great day. Thanks, Larry. Thank you. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. you listeners looking to boost your business why not advertise on talk radio nyc with very reasonable rates interested simply send us a message on our website talkradio.nyc are you a small business trying to navigate the covid19 related employment laws hello i'm eric sauver employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show employment law today 
On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 